0: Do you want to get Cognitive Dissonance streamed to your iPhone or BlackBerry? If so, download Stitcher free today at Stitcher.com. Glory, glory, hold oh, it lures ya. Glory, glory,
1: it oh, seduces ya. Glory, glory, hold oh, it screws ya. The
2: show, it must go on. Recording from Gloria Studios in Chicago, this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome mat. This is episode 166 of Cognitive Dissonance, and we are joined today by David Smalley from The Dogma Debate. Um, so thank you very much, David, for being on our show. Um, we're sorry for your, uh, your loss. Clearly, you did not have better options
3: this evening. Nothing else going on whatsoever, but I'm here, so that's good.
2: <laughs> so the first story we want to talk about comes from uh, the illustrious uh, website, thecripplegate.com. I don't even understand why you would name your site. I, before I even going to the story, the Cripplegate? Really? What the fuck is that? Um, anyway, it comes from the Cripple Gate and it's uh, titled, Does the Doctrine of Hell Make God Unjust? Uh, this is a, I'm going to go with editorial by a guy named Mike Riccardi. Mike posits that no, in fact, uh, the the doctrine of hell does not make God a, a, unjust. Um, and he kind of goes through the arguments um, that he, I think, makes up on the spot as to why torturing somebody in eternal flame Forever uh, is somehow not unjust. Before I toss it over to you, I want to review two of the basic claims, two of the basic objections that he attempts to address, as if there were only two objections that would make the concept of hell unjust. The first is that not everyone in history has had equal access to the gospel. That's the first basic claim that he is saying is often brought up that renders the idea of eternal torment Uh, unjust. And the second, that it is unjust to think that a person who has committed fewer or relatively less evil sins, for example, stealing a cookie from a cookie jar uh, as opposed to murder, um, suffers the same eternal infinite punishment in hell as a person who's committed more or relatively more evil sins. Um, So God's justice has no sense of proportion. So those are the two basic objections that he's purporting And I say that uh, with a grain of salt, purporting to uh, disprove. David, what did you think of this uh, fine editorial from the Cripplegate? Were you swayed? Were you swayed?
3: You know, I'm going to go to church now. This this is, I'm (laughs) I'm done. You know what, this guy, this guy, first of all, I have to say I, I would add a third one. I mean you 've got there that, that no one you know not everyone in history has had equal access to the gospel okay yes we we've, we've brought that up too what about people in third world countries who've never heard of the, the, the name Jesus uh, you know Aboriginals in Africa somewhere or in, in Australia that are living out in the jungle they 've never heard when they die where do they go without ever hearing the gospel yes we've used that and then this idea that you steal a cookie and you rape a child you 're both going to burn in hell forever that 's kind of ridiculous but this third thing that he 's not addressing throughout this entire article is the fact that this book continues to tell us that God is love God is just God is peaceful <laughs> God is God, God yeah. is 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 omnipotent and omnibenevolent and the, all these wonderful things um, that's really my basic argument. Not that he's a bad guy, because I'm not even acknowledging the existence of this thing, let right, alone trying right. to argue its personality type. What I'm arguing against is the inconsistency that this book would talk about, exactly how positive and loving and what a good guiding light this God is, yet they completely ignore the fact that in the same tone they will turn right around and tell you that he is actively in charge of torturing millions upon millions yeah. of of human yep. beings every day in the pits of hell. That's what this article doesn't touch on: the inconsistency of how the presence of hell, the existence of hell, contradicts the fact that God is all loving in the first place. You know, one thing
2: that occurs to me is that if you are a if you are a being that per, that, that that is that is uh, trying to uh, sell itself as being omnipowerful and uh, omnibenevolent, and yet you have no problem with sending millions or billions of people to eternal torture i can understand then why you would not be able to differentiate between a child stealing from a cookie jar and somebody killing six million people like your frame of evil is so much greater you know like you're like stealing killing six million jews no problem that's a wednesday like that's a fucking wednesday (laughs) for god it's a meaningless aberration. It's not even a statistical a blip on the radar when you're sending billions of people into the flames of hell. Well, it's
3: along the same lines that he actually starts off with. His first argument is titled, God is not obligated to be gracious. And that's kind of where this all starts, is that in general, human beings are looked at as just these just degenerate, disgusting pieces of shit that you don't even deserve to look at me. You don't deserve to be in my presence. You don't deserve anything. You better be damn glad that I'm giving you a chance to come back to me because you were so horrible. And so this basic concept that humans are just disgusting in general makes perfect sense. Why? Everyone deserves hell and God's not obligated to be gracious because then they'll turn around and say, well, he is a God of love. Are you saying that a judge who is a judge of love um, could not throw a disgusting criminal into jail? Well, of course, if you're a God of love and a man walks in the room who just raped a four year old and you sentence him to life in prison. Yes, you can still be a loving judge and punish someone for the rest of their lives based on their actions. I get that. But it's not about does the punishment fit the crime? It's about the definition of human being. And secular humanists, atheists, we don't see everyone as poisonous, disgusting pieces of shit. Christianity, however, does teach that. And once you look at people in that kind of light, it's very, very easy to torment, just like the Nazis looked at Jews as being rats or subhuman. That's how they justified their horrific actions, and apparently the Bible and the Christian God in this article are no different.
2: What's so funny that like, atheism is supposed to be the the worldview of cynicism and pessimism, right? Like, the worldview where, you know, there is no point and there is no purpose and there is nothing good. Um, but Christianity is built on a foundation of self-loathing because none of this works unless you have a view of the world that, as you describe, is absolutely foundationally resting upon a, a an innate hatred for the self, an innate hatred for the fact of our existence. You know, that's
3: that's one thing that pisses me off more than anything is when stuff is just completely backwards. I'll take a few seconds here and tell you a brief story uh, that that kind of is, is in line with this. I was, and I've told this on my show before. I was probably, I don't know, fifteen, sixteen. I, I was somewhere a teenager. I was playing basketball in my driveway. This kid next door, the the couple next door had like these big white gravel rocks. They weren't like really small gravel. They were the giant white rocks, probably, you know, about the size of, of a 50 cent piece. They were pretty solid style rocks. He just starts chunking them from his grandmother's rock bed over towards my mom's car. And I'm like, you little shit, stop it. Like I'm talking to him going, stop throwing rocks at the car. He's not saying a word to me. He's just throwing the rocks my direction. And I'm like, dude, stop. I'm not <laughs> kidding, right? So he keeps throwing the rocks, and I finally just start walking his direction. And what I was going to say, I was just going to walk up, knock on his door, and say, hey, can you stop your little demon from throwing these rocks in my direction? <laughs> but I go walking up, and he just turns and hauls ass into the house. He just books it into the door. And by the time I get up there, this lady in this giant gown comes out. She flings the door open, and as I'm walking up her steps, she says, You throw rocks at my baby again, I'm going to have your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm standing on her porch like, You've got to be kidding me. Like, I, I'm over here trying to stop this evil from happening, and I'm accused of perpetuating the evil that I'm trying to stop. This is bullshit. She wouldn't listen to me. She had no interest in what I had to say. She slammed the door, and he was in there, you know, being coddled like a little bitch. Now, it was, yes, I just called the kid a little bitch, but he was, I promise. And and I'll tell you, the, the thing that bothered me most about it is that it was the exact opposite, you know? If he had done something to me, and I had done something to him, and he went and told on what I actually did, I wouldn't feel so strongly about it. It but he flipped it, and that's the problem I have with this whole atheism is negative. Yet Christianity is positive when, in fact, Christianity is the one perpetuating this negative, torturous, disgusting view of humanity when atheists are supporting this secular human uh, secular humanism, positive work like this humanism at work type thing we you know we are kind of perpetuating this positive outlook that that you know you have freedom and choice and you 're responsible for your actions, yet you have the ability to change those actions and Christianity is portraying humanity as disgusting. But they 're getting all the credit for being the reason people are positive, and that really pisses me off
1: I wonder too uh if, you know I wonder if these people even understand what eternity means because really these are all finite acts, everything we can do on this planet, no matter what you know I mean if you started killing from the moment you were born <laughs> until you died and you killed every second of your life that still i don't think uh, should warrant a infinite punishment a you know a, a total eternity in hell i
3: just feel like these people don't understand what eternity even means that's a good point that's a really good point at some point you'd be like okay you've had enough but nope yeah yeah. nope when it doesn't
2: punishment strike anybody else as like as like kind of a tool of the weak too like here you've got god right so you've got this 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 being that has literally no limits to his power which means that if i am evil and I am a here on earth, and I am, I, and even if I buy into this nonsensical notion of sin, which I don't, and f- the fallen person and all that gobbledygook garbage. So even if I bought into that, and I am fucking, like you said, Cecil, like I am consummate evil. I just walk around, I'm a fucking three month old infant, and I'm killing people with fucking baby bottles. And I die, and I get up, and, and fucking God looks at me, and he's got literally all of the power. Could he not simply remove from me the evil, remove from me those parts of me which are broken, which have caused me to be sinful in his eyes, which have caused me to be a, a less than perfect being and then send my now repaired self up to, you know, heaven. Instead, he's just like, eh, fuck it. I mean, he like he treats us like a broken RC car. He's just like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. Chuck it in the trash. <laughs> and like you have, It's, it's, like, it's like you have a fucking screwdriver, and you're like, I could fix it. Uh, I think I'll just stomp it. I'll just fucking stomp on it for a while.
3: <laughs> like that's not a solution to the problem. That's
2: just stomping on shit.
3: <laughs> I want to stomp on it for eternity, actually.
2: <laughs> right. Have hey, you exactly. done stomping on that RC car? Uh, No. I think I'll keep doing this until time ends. That's when I'm going to stop. Is when time is no longer a thing.
1: One of the things that that the guy talks about in this article too is he talks about how you know look who are we to judge? Like God is the judge. We're not the judge. God can basically do whatever the hell he wants. And it's like God makes his own rules, so he can break them. And it feels to me like declaring yourself the winner of a contest you invented and and invited nobody else to. You're just like I'm the winner. I'm the winner. It's like starting your own podcast awards. I just started my own podcast awards, Tom. We won. Yes,
3: again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I actually just had the honor of doing the voiceover for um, Atheist Universe uh, on on audiobook, and uh, it's going to be out in about 30 days or so. And in there, David Mills, the author, breaks down the reasons why we punish uh, the reasons we punish children, the reason we punish, you know, other adults in society with jail time and such. And there are a bunch of different ways and I'll, I'll, I'll save you, uh, the details for when you're actually interested in listening to the audiobook. But, um, he basically mentions that at some point you're only just punishing for your own vengeance, not right. for any corrective action. Sure. And when you look at the model of hell or eternal punishment, um, Life is over at that point. There is there is nothing you can... Po- it, it, in other words, it's not for the greater good, right? It's not like you're going to be punished and then realize your negative behavior and come back and do the world any good. You're not ever going to do the world any good, yet this God is continuously causing this this torturous punishment for eternity for no other reason than vengeance. And that is the definition of evil. It, it's absurd.
2: Well, you know, the, the other thing too, David, is that it wouldn't make any difference how much good you did in a Christian worldview. Like, you could be here on Earth doing fucking— like, you could be the opposite of the of the murderous baby Cecil had previously described. Like, you could do good work, and you could, like, cure diseases every single day of your life. But if you were not Christian, if you did not— because you can't go to heaven except for through Jesus, right? So, like, if you're not Christian, you still end up in hell. So it's not like—it's not like good works are even a meaningful part of this particular dogma. You're still just like— and that is the crazy part, too. It's like, did you accept, you know, my divinity without evidence? No, I was kind of waiting for some evidence. Oh, well, here we are, and now you have evidence. Oh, okay, well, can I accept it now? No, too late, eternal fire forever. You're like, wait, what, what kind of fucking crazy-ass system is that? Like, by, by this definition, it's like, I made you, I made you broken, I made you fallen, I judged you for it before you had a chance. Because even says like it doesn't matter if you heard the gospels or not. It makes no difference if you if you even had the opportunity. To hear the gospels. if you had the opportunity to hear the good work and you accepted it then you're just fucking luckier than other people. So whether you go to heaven or hell is is literally just sheer fucking luck. like if you were born in Papua New Guinea and you're fucking scratching out a living in the treetops like and you never hear the good word or whatever and you go to hell it's like ah fuck you whatever it doesn't mean it's it is a fucking roll of the dice whether or not you spend life in paradise, or whether or not you are being tortured. So that is like the most capricious possible
3: action. You know, I've often told Christians, as as I have these discussions with them on my show, or in, in private family discussions, I'll say, you know, you fornicate quite often. you You smoke and get tattoos and drink alcohol and use the Lord's name in vain and all these sorts of other things. And you don't go to church, yet when an atheist comes over and tells you he doesn't believe, suddenly you're the great defender of fucking Jesus, and it's this big argument, right? And so I, I, I'm, t- I'm telling them like, look, guys, this this isn't right. If you think about it, if you read the scriptures... You're in the same boat I am. And they're like, well, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Well, Matthew seven twenty one is what I'm talking about. That's the verse where he says, you know, the, the, the guy cries out to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says to him, get away from me, those who practice lawlessness. You must do the will of the Father who is in heaven in order to enter the kingdom. So it's not just not believing. You can believe. You can cast out demons in the name of Jesus. You can do all kinds of stuff. But if you don't do the will of the Father in heaven, you don't get in. Well, then how do you find out what the will of the Father is? Well, who's the star of the Old Testament? That's where daddy's in charge. So theoretically, (laughs) if you're not an evil bastard performing those horrific commandments and dirty deeds in the Bible... You can't get into heaven because you're not evil enough, because you're not following these commands of the sadistic sky daddy in the Old Testament. So it's quite the opposite of reality. (laughs) It's so funny, you know, when you describe
1: it like that and when this guy talks about it where he talks about like, well, it's God and he can basically do what he wants. You kind of got to wonder, is there going to be a difference between heaven and hell? Is there going to be a difference? Because it's basically God can do whatever the hell he wants. I mean, he could be fucking making pasta out of baby faces up there and just be like, well, I'm fucking God. I get to do what I want. (laughs) He could be making splatter art with kittens and a mallet and just be like, hey, man, I'm fucking God. You don't get to tell me what's unjust. Hey, what do you think
2: of my art? God's basically Cartman from... uh... From South Park. He's like, I'll do what I want. He's yeah.
0: there's a petulant <laughs> <Exactly>. child.
3: <laughs> we filmed this movie, My Week in Atheism, and the Christian in the movie, we, we were at UNT, and this, this part did not make the film, and I don't know why, but he, he cut it out before the, the final, before the final film. And he was very fair. I want you to know that. And, and we, we can talk about the details of it in, in, in a little bit. But he mentions in there that God can do anything with his creation because he's the creator. And I said, does that mean that if we had the technology to produce a living thing from test tubes yep, only, yep. and I am now the creator of this life, that we yep. grow this thing, it has skin, it has eyes, it has feelings, I can take this thing because I created it, and I can, I can stick pencils through it, and I can cut yep. off one of its limbs, and I can squeeze it and watch it cry, and I can spin it around and twist it and pull its limbs off, and no matter how much it's hurting, no matter how much it's crying, you would call what I'm doing good because I created it, and he literally had no answer for that yeah it's like I, no, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that, but and, and I just kept going into detail about these disgusting things I would do to this thing <laughs> just because I created it, and I said at some point, I'm still being a dick, even if I made it, I'm still being a dick by continuously torturing this thing for no reason but if you if, if you don't, if, you're, if you guys are cool with it. I want to mention a comment about his next segment, which is the quantitative versus qualitative aspects of eternal punishment. He basically breaks down and pretends to know, which is first surprising, that he knows something about a spiritual place that we pretty much know doesn't even exist in the first down place. But he says that there are actually different levels of punishment. So, yes, the quality aspect of it, sure, every, or sorry, the quantity aspect of it, everyone is there forever. But it's not so bad for some people because there are different levels of punishment in hell like what does that mean like some people are just like trailer park hot and then the other places the other places are just like you know pizza oven hot and yeah. you know then there are some people that are like they fucked up so much they're like dangling in a volcano hot like what what does this mean yeah. different levels of it i've I've heard people tell me, you know, oh kids with special needs, they get a special place in heaven. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> it's paradise. What do you mean? Like, like they get free parking? <laughs> they, cl- they park closer. They get to park closer? Yeah, they have yeah, a better pillow yeah. or some they shit. Can I got all the bunnies yeah. they want. Like
2: there's, there's something, an endless supply of bunnies.
3: Right. Out. So when 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 they postulate this this this, you know, dualistic concept of this amazing paradise paradise in heaven or this ridiculous place of torture in hell, this to enter this concept now that somehow there's going to be different levels of punishment and different levels of reward are absurd. And besides, like Aaron Ra actually says in the film, he says, I-, I figured out a long time ago that I'm either going to be tortured by the sadistic monster or I'm going to be locked in a room with it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
2: <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's funny, though, because like I read the same thing. And the first thing I think is like, didn't Dante try to address this? I mean, Dante addressed this in, in The Inferno, I mean, a few hundred years ago by creating the fictitious idea of the seven circles of hell. And, you know, here's where these types of people go. And, it, and it's exactly like you describe. It's like, ah, hey, you guys get like mild lower back pain. Like, oh, fuck, that kind of sucks. No, cetera, No, nothing. And then, like, it's like all the way down to, like, you know, thumb screws and, and the rack, you know, all, all the way through. And it's like, that's just a poem a dude wrote. Like you do, like you want to like knock on this guy's door and be like, you know, that's an idea. And it was like kind of cool literature, but it's not true. Like you probably grew up with that idea. Everybody kind of did. It's been kind of consumed by the uh, collective consciousness. But there's nothing at all scripturally
3: to support that. Absolutely, there are videos out there. There's one very well done video, and I don't remember the name of it. Uh, about this guy who basically met this woman and was asking, or she, she, I think she wrote in to his about his blog or something saying, look, I've got my hand on the door. I'm ready to walk out of belief altogether, but I'm just terrified of hell. And he challenges her, find it in the Bible tell me in the Bible where it even says exactly how hell works. There are references to shield, there are references to sleep, there are references to punishment, but this whole concept of this fiery hell and the lake of fire, it's all been convoluted and put together of using you know patchwork of multiple different verses to come up with this, and, and by the way, a whole lot of filling in the gaps of creative <laughs> writing, to come up with this concept or doctrine of hell in the first place. There's not even really a doctrine to begin with it's it's just a bunch of scriptures you know pulled out of the ass of, of of people who want to make it seem scary
2: you know as a man with a newborn in the house like the idea of eternal sleep actually sounds very nice i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying like <laughs> if i could just like wake up every now every couple of hundred years like fucking groggy i'd like look around just enough to know that i'm asleep and i'm going right back to sleep <laughs> <laughs> That would would not be a bad way to spend eternity. That might be heaven, actually. The only difference is in hell, you wake up and you have to pee. Like, that's the only difference. (laughs) And the floor is really cold, and you just don't want to get out of the bed.
1: So if you're new to cognitive dissonance, uh, we are going to have an interview with uh, David Smalley from Dogma Debate. At the end of the show, we're going to do a couple of news stories in between with just us, but we're going to have David on to talk about... um, all the whole gamut of what he does as well as his uh his uh philanthropic work so stick around for that
3: in the name of jesus we speak that
0: <laughs>
2: So this story comes from the raw story. Children exposed to religion have difficulty distinguishing fact from fiction, according to researchers. Um, Also noted, the sky is blue and water, it has been determined, is wet, Cecil. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. this, This is like one of those studies where it's like, hey, you know, maybe if we teach kids that blatantly untrue things are true and that things that have... No mechanism for action to occur, but yet we teach them that these things are a truth that's fundamental to their world. You think that'll alter their worldview? Well, let's find out. No it's shit. So, it's like some sort of cruel experiment
1: where like you glue someone's <laughs> eyes open. You know what I mean? You're just like, well, let's see, do they produce more tears then if you glue their eyes open? You know, it just it really feels like a cruel, shitty experiment to do
2: on people. So in this study, um the the, the study basically um, was, was, was taking a look at kids um, and evaluating how they treat different kinds of narratives. So, um, And kids that were raised in households in which religious narratives are frequently encountered um, don't treat stories with the same kind of skepticism that secular kids do. And you read that and it's like, well, that's what you're training them for. Right? right. Like, right. all that tells me is like your training is working. It's, it's be the same thing as if like the researchers are like, hey, you know what's really good? If you get one of those invisible fences, and then you know what happens? Your dog is afraid of crossing the line. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow, right, what a fucking yeah. thought. That's explicitly what these stories are made to do. Like, that is religion's <laughs> only actual function. Right, to,
1: it's almost like if you were to like ring a bell, they would salvage. Right, you know, you'd just be like, right. okay, well, we know how that works. Right. Yeah,
2: I mean, when, when one of one of religion's central like uh, virtues is is a lack of credulity. Yeah, and also one of the plausible
1: narratives uh, they also believe is that they'll go to heaven if a priest can cop a feel too. That's one of those one of those <laughs> little known narratives. <laughs> You get a Snickers bar out of it. So, I mean, there's benefits for sure. Um, It's funny when you mention this and and you look at this because I did grow up a believer. So for me, it it reminds me of all the stupid shit I believed when I was a teen and when I was, you know, a late teen, you know, like all the stuff, all the dumb shit, the non-skeptical shit I believed. Because I was primed for it, right? right. My re- my worldview had ghosts in it. My worldview had demons in it. My worldview, I think, had UFOs in it. You know, all the stuff that, you know, I look at now, my my worldview almost certainly had the Loch Ness Monster. I don't remember
2: thinking about it, but I look at it now and I think, maybe I probably thought there was a Loch Ness Monster. Sure, it's not I grew up, up ridiculous in any of the stuff that's in any of these holy texts. Right.
1: I grew up watching a, a show called That's Incredible, and it had um it had like three idiots on it and they would just have all kinds of weird shit they would have like people like fucking that like punch themselves in the balls and can still stand up like weird like tests of strength and dumb shit like that but then they would also have on like stories where they would go do like 2020 style stories where they would go out and do ghosts and there would be a ghost picture there would be a photo of like a fucking ghost which is really just like a shadow and they'd be like look it's a ghost and i remember like growing up thinking that it was true. Right. That it was something that was I never I never once looked at it and thought, well, that's not real. I always looked at it and was like, fuck, that scares the hell out of me. I think I'm gonna leave the light on when I go to sleep. Well and it's
2: funny too, because like that's like that's where kids are, right? Like kids are in a place when they're young where they're they're primed to accept a worldview from authority figures, right? Like that's what they, they they're under their authority figures define the parameters, the foundations, the, the the boundaries of their world. So it's like if if the grown up says like, hey, you live in a world full of magic, then they think they live in a world full of fucking magic. Yep. yep. Like that's just like, like that's just it. Like you have created a world that that is going to be much more difficult to get to skepticism to get to a critical thinking worldview when your foundational beliefs say hey by the way magic is real allahu
1: akbar allahu akbar,
3: allahu akbar. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So this story comes from Al Jazeera. Iraq Christians get Islamic State's warning. The Islamic State group uh, tells the Christian community in Mosul that they face death if they do not embrace Islam or pay a tax. So really you get the choice. And I get the feeling like this is not much of a choice. Because I would not be the one writing the I'm not a Muslim check. Yeah. (laughs) Muslim check. That's a great way to put it. What do you put in the memo section? Heretic.
1: (laughs) Exactly. This is like really pulling out the stops. I mean, it's going well beyond. Wait until your dad gets home. It's more like wait until your dad gets home, and I'll have him kill you. You know, that's more. I think the level. Uh, What I was curious about this is this. Now is this the state or is this this ISIS group that's making this proclamation?
2: You know, Cecil, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure that there's I'm not sure what the difference is at this point in Iraq to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. I just I just wonder I wonder how much of this is Sharia law at the point of at the end of a gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because um for the most part Iraq was pretty progressive in that world. You know, I mean it wasn't super progressive, but it certainly was more progressive than other areas. And so I wonder how much of this is actually, uh, you know, the pressure from that sort of radical Muslim group that was marching their way across Iraq. And now, you know, now this is sort of coming to the fore, like, hey, you can't be a Christian. Um, If you are, you got to pay. And who doesn't pay? You know, what I mean, like, it's like I'm either going to kill you. It's like fucking, you know, it's like getting shaken down by the mob. Like, Joey Stacks comes to see you, and he says, look, hey, it'd be a fucking real shame if something happened to your fucking place here. You know, you know now is time to give this man some money. It's not like, oh, he's right. It really would be a shame. Something, you know,
2: like, he is like, also no. evaluating that yeah. I enjoy my things. Yeah, I'm right. No exactly, kidding. Exactly, right. You know, the, the thing is, man, that this, I looking a little closer at it, Cecil, I think that this is certainly um, a a result of the, uh, the ISIS shenanigans so that's that's very much what's happening here um i look at this and i think like the first thing i would do is i would if somebody told me like i'm gonna fucking kill you if you don't convert to islam be like well then i've converted to islam yeah i'm the most islamic person you've ever met (laughs) i'm fucking muhammad that's how fucking (laughs) is i'm so fucking islamic it's illegal to take my picture that's how know, fucking Islamic I am.
1: I know what my bathroom reading is for the next three weeks. Right. You know, I immediately know it's going to be the Quran. Right. I know, it's what, like, I know what I'm going to be
2: reading on the shitter from this week on, you know. I, I, there is no, because, but you look at this and it's like, it's like convert or I'll kill you. Because here's their their choices, um, is, is they can convert to Islam. They can pay a tax um, or give up their possessions and leave the city. So, like, they have three fucking horrible options. Like, you can basically be a fucking homeless nomad. You can pretend to be a Muslim, which is really what that would be. Or you can pay a tax. And if you pay a tax, you're basically just identifying yourself for persecution. (laughs) That doesn't seem like the best choice. So, you clearly... (laughs) But, but isn't it so evident from this that, like, they don't really give a shit if you're Islamic, right? Like, they, it's, not, it's not like they're saying, like, what we, we're really hoping to do is is affect a heartfelt, genuine conversion to our faith. Let us extol the virtues of Islam to you until your heart and your mind are uh, turned over to uh, Muhammad and Allah. They're not doing that. They're fucking putting a gun in your face. Exactly. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'll fucking yeah. tell you I'm a fucking rhinoceros. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's <laughs> nothing I won't. There's seriously, like, there are no words that would not come out of my mouth. So we're going to take a break, give you all the information you need to become a patron of the show, and we'll return in just a moment with uh, the rest of our interview with David Smalley from Dogma Debate.
0: Want to contact the guys? Go to DissonancePod.com to get links to their Google+, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. If you want to contact them directly, send an email to dissonance.podcast at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a message at 740-74-DOUBT. That's 740-743-6828. Do you want to support the show? Go to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash dissonance pod. Or click the link on the podcast homepage to and you can donate to the production of Cognitive Dissonance on a per-episode basis. If you can't spare any money, take a second to give us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher, or spread the word about the show. We want to send a big, heartfelt glory hole to all the patrons and people who rate us. You fucking rock.
2: So this story comes from Wonkit, author of excellent Stop Being Gay book, Arrested for Molesting Teen Boy. Allegedly, again. Um, so a Pittsburgh pastor, he wrote a uh, a book, Freedom from Homosexuality, No Longer Living the Lie is the name of it. Um, and he has uh, been arrested for sexually assaulting a teenage boy. So he is no longer living the lie. He's living out his dream of being a pedophile. So it's, it's good that he's, you know,
1: he's, he's out, Cecil. It's true. You know, th- this book, writing this book, it feels comparable to, like, Susie Orman being caught getting a payday loan. You know what I mean? Like, we're just like, really, Susie?
2: <laughs> what are you doing there?
1: I thought you steer us away from that stuff.
2: Yeah, th- this is just, I mean, this is like, what do you say about this story, right? This is like one of those stories where you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be surprised even a little bit. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, right. no. Nobody is surprised. You basically, like, all the police need to do is just go to a bookstore. And just find, like, the most hate-filled diatribes and just be like, all right, let's watch them for 30 days. Yeah, private (laughs) investigate them for
1: a little while. They're certain
2: to fucking—they are certain to do something at this
1: point, you know? You see his tweets. Did you see his tweets? One of them was, living for self is not living at all. I think he knows. I think he kind of knows, like, it's— Giving is better than receiving. Yeah, or there you maybe, go. Maybe pitching is better than catching. One,
2: <laughs> well, I think the I think the one that uh, do it for Jesus this time. Do it for Jesus. Yeah, just do it just, for Jesus. Come on. That's actually that's actually what he said to the uh, to the teenage yeah, boy to,
1: to try kids. to convince yeah. him. Come on, yeah.
2: do it for Jesus this time. You didn't have your heart <laughs> in it last time. Put, put a little umph in it
1: there, kid. Jeez. Jesus. Um, one of the things that I wanted I wanted to mention is there's a allusion to this when they talk about this in the article and they say something about kind of uh, when you repress something and they the person says I'm not a psychologist but this is just a passing thought but basically the idea is when you're when you're repressing something when you're repressing something in yourself maybe the reason why the pedophiles exist is they're repressing their se- uh, exist in the church is because they're repressing their sexuality and then they're really going for the only thing that is available and that they can manipulate easily to get the sexual desires that they want, right? So, like, let's say they're repressing themselves. They are they don't want to be gay, so they're becoming celibate, let's say. Um, and then there's something available, anything available. They will use that power that they have to sort of go after it. And that's an interesting thought, something that I hadn't really thought of before, that, you know, maybe that level of pedophilia isn't... It's not a natural pedophilia. It's just sort of an availability pedophilia. Yeah,
3: that
2: that that very well may be true. And you know, I mean, they can. They, I think if that's if that's a working hypothesis, then you know, there's some there might be some interesting studies that that, that could be done about that. I think you know we can certainly conclude that celibacy is um, not necessary. Like it doesn't accomplish anything.
1: Right. It's right. not
2: like it's not like celibacy. It's it. It's not like we can say, oh well, people who are celibate. Are stronger or faster or smarter right, or right. more moral. Like celibacy doesn't accomplish anything. All we have determined that celibacy accomplishes, I think, is that it makes people miserable. Like, I, I don't think that there's any good to be had in the world. It's not a virtue. And I, no. I, you know, it's not like you look at somebody who's celibate and think, man. Good for you. That's got to be. They're living the and, life. In, you know. In fact, to, to, as just a personal anecdote, Cecil, um, just the other day, um, I was at a at a wake, and we I was standing there with my wife, and a priest came up. And we had our little our little boy with us, our little son, newborn son, and he walked up and he started making very pleasant, normal conversation. He started talking about family and he started talking about how important family is and you know he's just, and he's just being he's being a very nice guy. He's, I'm not but the whole time I'm like what the fuck do you know about You're family? About like family. Yeah. you've never had a wife. You'll never have a son. Like you can't you don't know anything about family at all from a marital perspective. From I mean you know about family from a you know I am a son I have you know nieces or nephews or what have you, but from a from a creating your own with your spouse perspective or your or your significant other perspective, like 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 he's, it 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 actually celibacy actually erodes a, a person's ability to relate to other people. And part of me thinks that that might not be part of the problem, too, right? Like, if if you can't relate to people sexually in a normative way, then what are your options that are left other than, than abnormal sexuality or aberrant sexuality?
1: Who's that guy
2: on the other side of the glory hole? It's Jesus. So this story comes from The Daily Record, um, which I've never heard of before. Uh, revealed sex shame Cardinal Keith O'Brien enjoying retirement in 208,000 pound, pound being a unit of currency, not the weight of the home, Northumberland Bungalow. Huge (laughs) house, It is. That many pounds. Provided by the Catholic Church. So this story is fucking nuts. So this O'Brien guy, right, he's in (laughs) self-imposed exile. Right, yeah. So he has exiled himself. Like you know that you have a fucking problem when you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> I need to be away from people for a while." Yeah. I can't be trusted by me. Like it's not even like society has said, "Whoa, dude. Yeah. You're off to the fucking left over here. Go." And he's just like, "Wait, look. Look. I'm going to do some weird shit."
1: <laughs> All right. He's like he's like putting his own ankle bracelet
2: right? on, you know. Right? <laughs> he's just like, "No, I'm just oh, house arrest for me." Um so this guy, the the church, buys him a home, a home worth 208,000 pounds. On American money, that's like $77 million, I think, yeah, with yeah, the current sure. exchange rate.
1: I think it's Idaho, actually, is the exchange rate. <laughs> the whole yeah. state of Idaho. It's like, it's like the Idaho purchase. You could basically just buy it for 208,000 uh, pounds. The funny thing about this, they're bitching about how much it costs, right? They're saying, well, it's fucking bungalow costs a lot of money. I think it's it's ex- actually kind of expensive to have like a secluded little sex dungeon in your bungalow. <laughs> right. I think it, you know what I mean you got to blow walls out, you got to add soundproofing, you got to ventilate that thing, you got to have in-wall lube dispensers. That shit's costly. It's it's not a fucking easy thing to do. So I think I think that you know they're bitching about the cost but there's no way he can have the same sort of lifestyle. So, you know, it's give and take really.
2: You know, the thing is Cecil, just the sanitation costs
1: alone. No kidding. you got to get a couple people to come in and mop. Right. Well, that Santorum
2: doesn't clean itself up. It doesn't.
1: That's fucking A, it It doesn't. It's
2: got to. you got to have a, you know, bring in a couple of altar boys with. uh, Power washers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you look at this and it's like, you know, what what more evidence do you need that the church just doesn't give a fuck anymore? I know. I know. You know, the church is just like, ah, whatever. Get him a house. It's like. That's like I You know, it's
1: a great list of stuff that the guy's doing. You're absolutely right. He's a hypocrite. There is an abuse of power and an abuse of funds, too. And, and it just feels like, you know, he should go to church and every time someone throws money in the collection plate, he should just slap him in the face with his dick.
2: Would <laughs> you be like, "Here you go. No, you put an ass for me." Tat, 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 tat. And you know, every time the ch- every time people spend money, like when you go to the church and they fucking pass that plate around, you're like, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking give" You know, ten or twenty bucks or whatever, and put in the plate. Like, do you really think that you're buying a house for a fucking weird, creepy sex dude? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, is it, like, can you imagine if they were, if they were like, okay, guys, we need to pass the plate. You know, we got to keep the lights on. Someone's got to right. pay for the gas over here. We just bought this creepy, fucking weird dude. This hypocrite. Uh, A house. Now that's not going to buy itself. And we've got a lot of lawsuits to settle because our priests keep fucking kids. So, you know, if you could just give from your heart, guys, give from your heart. And $20 buys a lot of lube. So just, you (laughs) know, what you want to do, it buys a lot. Look, you don't want him to chafe his dick, guys. I mean, nobody wants that. Okay. Nobody wants a fucking swollen dick. And the priest is
1: practicing safe sex now. So he's got to be, he's got to just have tons of condoms. Right. So there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into this. His ball gag costs money.
2: <laughs> it's network news, news, news. Um, this story comes with a raw story. Sovereign citizen challenges his own name in Michigan gun case. Uh, my rights come from the creator, he says. Now, this is the second story I've heard recently about these sovereign rights people. Um, and these fucking people are amazing they're fucking amazing. So the thrust of their argument, if you've never heard this gobbledygook garbage before, is that the that they are sovereign individuals and that the United States government is not a government but a corporation and that that corporation has set aside for each person living and this is fucking amazing. Like this is a, it's awesome. Has set aside an account worth $266,000. For each person, um, each citizen, and that that is an amount of money that's in a shadow bank account by the United States Corporation that is assigned to the fictitious entity that is your name. But your name is not the actuality of your personhood. Your name, in fact, is only your corporate designation from the United States Corporation. And so... I fucking there is z- I, no I kind of zoned government. out halfway through what you were saying. I know it's <laughs> fucking crazy and the, you know the only reason I know this is I work in real estate and there was a guy who tried to avoid foreclosure and I read his foreclosure case recently. He tried to avoid foreclosure by writing a check and tried to make it payable from the United States Treasury drawing on this imagined shadow account. And wrote this whole thing about how he was a sovereign citizen and he was availing himself of his shadow funds. And he did the same thing. Like, he invoked his rights as a sovereign citizen and his rights come from the... I mean, it's fucking insane. These sovereign citizen people are fucking amazing, man.
1: You know what? I think, you know, what they should do is instead of, you know, calling on their name, they should actually change their name to their creator. Because if you change (laughs) your name to their creator, look, I'm the one endowing the rights. You know what I mean? Like, there fucking, you go. They, actually, you're your own father. Yeah, they, <laughs> at that
2: point.
1: Look, they come from their creator. So, these are the same people, though, that basically think that the cops have to tell you they're a cop, or else. I know. know? It's oh like, God,
2: cops have to tell you they're
1: a cop, and cops have to have like their parking lights on when they clock you, and like, there's all these weird like regulations that cops have to follow. Yeah, cops
2: have to follow one regulation. Get down on the ground. That's it. Like, that's the regulation. The cops have to follow. Don't get caught, right? Because they fucking, cops do illegal shit all the time, and people get fucking busted for that shit. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, the thing is, like, the cop shows up, and the cop's got, he's got not only a gun and a taser and a stick and handcuffs, but he's also got more cops. Yeah, he's got a right. brotherhood of people who will lay the that's beat a, down on that, you. That's on the command. thing the cops have that you don't have. Like I don't care if you've got fucking 25 guns in your car. You don't have more you. Like yeah. the cops can always call <laughs> more down, cops. More. It's not like they've ever yeah. been like, "Oh man, we ran out of cops. Like that's
1: never happened. I wonder too uh, about these these sovereign citizens. Where they're getting all this stuff from? Is there like is there like just one woo purvey- purveyor
2: out there, or is there like a whole movement of these people? Or I, you know, I don't know. I don't know where because there there seem to be some central tenets of the sovereign citizen shenanigans, and you, you know they seem right. to have a common thread. So I don't know if they're all reading from the same sovereign text or whatever, but it's fucking amazing because all they're trying to do is redefine terms, right?
1: Yeah, aren't these the the same idiots who march
2: around with, like, assault weapons? Yeah, and then they're just like, I can have a fucking bazooka on my head, you know? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, good luck with that. Could you
1: just leave Taco Bell? (laughs) Can you just, like, wait outside with your fully armed and loaded AK-47? Is that... Because I don't think you need that to get a fucking combo burrito. I don't think that's a necessary thing you need to
2: bring in. Man, I will say I'm super fucking glad that where I live, like, that's not a thing like that. I'm not like because I I will be honest, Cecil. If I was sitting in a fucking restaurant and some dude walked in with a fucking AK-47 or something, I would grab my family and fucking flee. I like, would leave
1: right away too. I, wouldn't, I would I not stick I would be and like late. through
2: the kitchen. I don't give a fuck. Cuz how are you supposed to know that guy's not like shooting the joint up sure. or whatever? Or like, you have no they, fucking idea.
1: I said no onions. <laughs> right. Da, 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 da. Right. don't <laughs> no fucking no. And you know like like I I I know that this this is probably going to generate somebody's email because there's probably somebody out there who thinks that these guys are like freedom fighters cuz they're walking around with fucking guns strapped to their back. Um And I get... And I do understand... um, I understand the perspective of police officers... Uh, do shit wrong and they fuck shit up and it's okay to be a person who's going to test them on their shit, right? Like, I kind of really do enjoy when somebody walks up and they're filming the police, the police are like, turn the camera off. and They're like, I don't have to turn the camera off. Like That's not something I... I fucking kind of get a little bit of a justice boner. I get a little justice chub when that happens. I'm like, good, fucking stand up for your rights. Yeah. Like, I remember one time I was going to be... I I seriously believe this with all my heart that I was going to be abused by the I was at a carnival um, My brother came out of nowhere And we did this stupid like Hey fuck you And you know we're just kidding around Because we're brothers right So it's like hey fuck you He's like fuck you And then my brother kind of fake pushed me And then I fake pushed him And then a second later we hugged And I slapped him on the back We started walking And then at that moment I got grabbed from behind and I was like, whoa, what's up? And, and it's, a, it's a police officer. But it wasn't a police officer. It was a volunteer police officer. And he spins me around. He's like, hey, who are you? And I was like, what do you mean, who am I? I'm like, I'm just a person. Like, what's the big deal? And they're like, I need to see your ID. And I said, what for? What did I do? And they're like, you can't have a commotion or whatever they're causing a commotion here a or something. Commotion? And I'm just like, I'm like, look, man, I'm like, I, that's my brother. We're just fucking around. He's like, I need to see your idea. I said, I didn't do anything wrong. And he grabs me by the shirt and he drags me off to the side. And he pulls me in between two booths. Like we're between like two of these, like, you know, carnival type booths. But we're completely in the shadows at this point. And he drags me off and two cops are at his side. And I had a friend of mine, this buddy of mine, Hassan. And he follows us and walks in, and he's like, "Get out of here!" And Hassan's like, "I can stand wherever I want, officer." He's like, "I'm standing right here," and they're like, "And they're like, get out!" I told you, you got out! He's like, "I'm not leaving anywhere. I'm I'm standing right here." And the police officers kind of looked at my ID for a second, and they let me go. But I am I am to this day think that they were going to lay a couple beats on me. Oh in yeah, between man, there. you're being
2: impertinent. Yeah,
1: like exactly. I was being I was being rude. I was I was it was contempt a cop, and so. I, I I recognize, and I also, I'm kind of the guy who's watching these videos and saying, yes, I'm with you. But then there's some of them that are so bad where they're just like, I'm not rolling down my window. I don't have to roll down my window. And they're like fucking sticking their lips out the window where they're like, bah, 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 bah. I can hear you just <laughs> fine. And you're just like, okay, now you're being a dick.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, man, I've gotten out of plenty of tickets by being, like, non-threatening, polite. Like, I recognize these guys have a fucking job to do. And they walk up to my car and they don't know who I am. And maybe I'm a guy who's speeding or maybe I'm a guy who's going to fucking take some shots at those guys. Yeah, you know, yeah they I don't, don't know. know. So, like, I do, I genuinely respect that, like, they've got a job where they are in some amount of danger on the regular. And many times I've been pulled over and, you are you know, you're polite. You crack a couple of jokes. You know, you make sure that you're, you know, for me, like, I fucking roll down the window. I put both my arms out the window. Yep, and I don't make a move yep, for my wallet too. until they ask me to. Yep. Man, I i have been, I have seriously probably gotten out of a dozen tickets in the course of my life, you know, just by not being an asshole. I guarantee that I probably wouldn't have gotten, maybe I wouldn't have gotten beat up, but I guarantee I wouldn't have gotten out of those tickets. Like, you know, you'd be an asshole and it's like you're getting the fucking citation at the very least. Right, right. So this guy, back to this fucking story real quick, I just want to point out one awesome thing that he said. Is he's uh, he's trying to redefine terms. He challenged the use of his name, which was printed in capital letters on legal documents. And then this is my favorite. He claimed the building that, that the police identified as his residence was, in fact, his family storage unit. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. It's his family storage unit. Makes it sound like he fucking killed his family. And they're in fucking blue barrels. In the storage unit, there he totally like
1: fucking blue barrel and like fucking Walter whited them <laughs> and put them somewhere like in a storage unit, like right. literally in a storage right. unit. Allah
0: Akbar, Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Akbar, just little Allah. Thank you,
2: Chicago. This story comes from the Independent. Um, Al-Qaeda Glossy advises women to cover up and marry a martyr. Um, so they got the new Cosmo. It's like, it's, it's uh, you know, seven sex tips uh, to drive your uh, man wild before he blows himself up. Before he destroys everything around him. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a feature um, in this magazine, How to Make a Bomb in the Kitchen of Your Mom. Wow. Uh, that's it, man. It's like, this is, this is what passes for women's entertainment literature out of, out of the Al Qaeda group. Like how to make a bomb in the kitchen of your mom. This is not like, oh yeah, you know, the, the, the key to a man's heart is through his stomach. And we mean that literally. What you can do is stick a knife right in the infidel's stomach, <laughs> exactly, and dig around and you, until you find you a key. Reach
1: up. If you reach up, you will find it. You will find the key. Yeah, that's awesome. I I wonder if they have like, you know, makeup tips to cover up a black eye.
2: Like, well, I they do if- actually, Cecil, because they have they have tips on how to achieve a perfect complexion. Yeah, and it's stay inside with your face covered. <laughs>
1: That's the advice. Yeah, well, I think covering up a black guy be pretty easy. You just pull the veil down, right? right. I mean, you it's don't like, really need right. to do much. Yeah. I have a
2: black guy. How would you know you're not wearing your hijab? Yeah. I'm like, wait, fuck. A, a
1: niqab is what they call it. I think. Is it a niqab? The big one, like the I, big long one. I don't
2: know. I think so.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's it, they probably have like a, they probably have an article about like the twelve best sunscreens, and they're just different niqabs, right? They're just, <laughs> <laughs> they're like different weights of cloth. SPF, like here's a canvas one. SPF burlesque. Yep. Oh, that's
3: awesome.
1: I wonder if they have, like, how to spice up your sex life, like wear your sister's potato sack instead of
2: yours. Slowly reveal your ankle to drive your man wild.
1: How not to look fat when you strap a bomb to yourself during swimsuit season.
2: It's the latest fashion in suicide vests. (laughs) It's it's the suicide vest bikini. Look at this. Oh, man. It's like that burkini thing (laughs) we saw a long time ago. You know, one thing that I think is is very amusing is there's uh, first aid tips. Um, First aid tips (laughs) for martyrs. Like, it's not like a little fucking... It's not like you're going to be like, oh, wait, just put some pressure on it. You oh, fucking... Man. You covered your body in ball bearings and C4. Yeah. I don't think first aid... Like, you could use first aid, you could use second aid, you could use fucking 10 to the power of 37 aid. It's not going to fucking help. I don't know if that's going to work. There's no aid uh, for that.
1: I wonder if they have, like, an article on how to avoid looking like Cobra Commander. I wonder if- <laughs> I don't know that that is possible. (laughs)
2: Um, And if you don't want to be a martyr, um, then uh, it it argues that the pros and cons of (laughs) honey face masks... And it lobbies Cecil against. You
3: need a
1: face.
2: You're already wearing a face mask. I know. You want to make sure sure that your face is beautiful, so only no one can
1: see it. Essentially, like all you're gonna do is like make that thing stick to your face if you wear
2: (laughs) eyes. You (laughs) have to peel that thing (laughs) off your face. Uh, But they they also are lobbying against women toweling too forcibly. Like you have to wonder about the editors. Like oh well, you know we definitely need to cover the toweling issue. Do we put that before or after how to assemble a bomb in your kitchen? <laughs> because there's all these women out there who've written into us like, oh, I've been toweling myself and now my skin chafes. What should I do? Don't towel. <laughs> Just so hard. Don't towel so how is that hard. even an article?
3: I don't know. How is this
2: even a show? But how is that even yeah. an article?
1: So we're here uh, talking to David Smalley of Dogma Debate. David, uh, if people don't know who you are, could you could you let them know who you are?
3: Yeah, dogmadebate.com. I host the Dogma Debate radio show. We are a live uh, three- to four-hour radio show every Wednesday night through iHeartRadio, through Spreaker. Uh, they can listen live from DogmaDebate.com and uh, Dogma Debate LLC actually also owns AtheistAudiobooks.com we've got titles from David Fitzgerald PZ Myers, David Niosi uh, Catherine Stewart, we've got 14 15 titles uh, published and we're actually in the works uh, in the production right now on 7 other titles, so yeah, we are producing audiobooks, AtheistAudiobooks.com and Dogma Debate, where we do uh, live radio and uh, we do video too, we have a uh, members that sign up at com for behind the scenes and extra content. So now um, you kind of cater your
1: show to people who are either believers or who are sort of coming out uh, of believing, right? You're not really, yeah, I mean, you're really trying
3: to have a, a sort of a softer touch uh, with your show, right? Well, we, we kind of go both ways with that. I mean, um, the reality is, you know, we, my show sounds a lot like if you were driving down the road and you turn on, you know, your local FM, you know, FM radio show, uh, uh, some sort of Kiss FM or some sort of hot FM, just your drive time radio show with a bunch of people who, who really like each other, get around the table and and talk about current events, but hosted by skeptics and atheists and scientists. And so we have we have fun with stuff. We do some current events. But uh, as often as possible, we like to have a Christian either in studio or or call in as a guest. And yes, when we do have a Christian uh, guest with us, we address these things. We address why the ridicule is necessary. We address we we address these things. We still have fun with them, um, and 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 we we put the walls down. But but we do we do try to try to extend the olive branch uh, to, to to some degree, and try to be very respectful to the Christian about basically respecting that they respecting how important their belief is to them without. Uh, validating the truthfulness of their religion, so I can tell them, I think you're completely wrong, and I think it's false, without saying you're a delusional idiot who worships a Santa Claus for adults. We don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't go out of our way to insult them. I, I, I'm intrigued by believers, to be honest with you. I'm intrigued because, um, and the more they've read of the Bible, and the more educated they are. Uh, specifically on religion and psychology and neuroscience and the way the body works, the more I'm intrigued that they still believe. Yeah. And so I like to—it's a very—what's what, what, known as a Socratic method of question and answer. I just ask them questions, and oftentimes they begin challenging their belief right in front of our eyes.
2: Do you have, do you have uh, other religionists on your show? Do you have, like, uh, Muslims on or um, people who are not Christian, or is it, is it exclusively Christian?
3: I have tried multiple times, and I'm wide open to having Muslims on, Scientologists on, anybody I can. But up until this point in two and a half years, we've only been able to get Christians to agree. Um, Interesting. I, I've tried so many times to get Muslims on. I think, I think I've actually um, been turned down six or seven times uh, just, wow. just, just by Muslims. Yeah.
2: Wow, that surprises me. I would think there would be more of a desire to— To engage that conversation from other people of faith.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I want to. I absolutely want to. And I I wouldn't be as powerful against those beliefs because I don't know those religions as well. So they could tell me something and I I don't know the Quran like I know the Bible. So I wouldn't be able to spit a verse back at them and say, but your book says this. I I would be, you know, I'd be a lot easier to, 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 to push around on that topic. I'm surprised they won't do it. But you know, if anyone out there knows of a Muslim who is interested in, in coming on, or a Scientologist, or or any other um, any other religious belief, I would absolutely love to have them on the show.
2: Now I feel like converting just so I can go on your show and push you yeah. around. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just pretend, pretend Just pretend. <laughs> Seems uh, like a now, lot of work, though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. You, have, uh, you don't steer clear of politics on your show, and I, I find that sometimes you know, skeptical podcasts sometimes steer clear of that. You guys seem to tack that f-
3: hat on. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We have a, a, a segment, a recurring segment, called Republicans Say the Darnedest Things, and we play audio clips of some of the crazy stuff that, that comes out of the religious rights mouth. And at the same time, I get quite a bit of flack from a lot of the liberal listeners saying that they think I'm more conservative than most liberals. And so we talk about conservative issues all the time. We talk about civil rights. We um, LGBT issues probably come up once or twice on every episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, we talk about equality. We talk about things going on in Arizona or California. Um, for example, when Arizona got ready to pass that bill, which they were calling, you know, the uh, right to discriminate against gays bill, yeah. Yeah. we actually started breaking it down and saying, okay, you know, we 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 got into this discussion about. You know, that would be wrong. If you're a photographer and you do weddings, you should do a gay wedding. And I said, okay, well, I have something to tell you. I was once approached by Benny Hinn's ministry to do voiceover work. And I told them no. And as a freelance artist who does voiceover work for radio and TV, I have the right to distinguish where my talents are used. And I do not want my talents to be used to promote something that I completely disagree with, like religion. So if that's the case, if someone has in their mind, even though we believe that they're wrong, if they feel that they don't want their talents used to promote what they see as a sin or an abomination against a God they worship, I think as a private individual, you should have the right to say, I don't want to take pictures of your gay wedding. And then I was the bad guy for saying that. But as we continue to break it down, I was proposing things to people like, okay, so what if... uh." The Ku Klux Klan came to you and said, I want you to make our cake that says white power. Would you make that cake? Hell no. Nobody wants to make that cake. Well, how dare you discriminate, right? So on, on some level, private individuals should have the right to not do that. However, what, what we determined is if it's a place of business, if it's a building that you can walk into and you're, you're, you're open to the public, then people are walking into your business and you're saying, wait a minute you look gay, you have to leave. That's a problem, right? Now they're not free to roam about society and you've opened your business up to society, but you're excluding a certain type of person from being in there. That's where it becomes a problem. And so, yeah, we we talk about politics. We talk about religion. We pretty much talk about it all. That's an
1: interesting concept. That's something I hadn't considered. When we talked about it, one of the conclusions that Tom and I both came to was, uh, it's it's not okay to discriminate against someone for something they can't control. Like, so I shouldn't be able to discriminate against you because you're black, but I could certainly discriminate against you because you're in the Ku Klux Klan because that's something you can control. You can decide whether or not you're a bigot, but you can't decide whether or not you're black. And so we sort of came out on that side of the argument, but it's it's a tough. It, it absolutely is tough, and we received probably the same amount of email and things that you received when we came out on the we came out on a very similar side, which is man, it kind of sucks that. You know, you can't tell someone no, but, um, but there are some protections in our society based on that. So, um, so that's interesting. That's really interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I think that it's important to distinguish having, having the ability to, as, as an independent contractor, if you're going to offer your services, right, that's one thing. But if you are AT&T yeah. and you find out that a black person is using your service, you can't go out there and cancel their service because they're black. Right. But if you are an individual that is an artist and photographers are, in fact, artists to go to them and say, I want you to you know, film or, or photograph my gay wedding, they should be able to say, I don't want to be a part of that. And, and ask yourself, would you even want the person to be forced I know, to take pictures I know. of your wedding? They, that, <laughs> yeah. I, who would want that? I, I, I wouldn't want that.
1: I know, and that's that's, that's one we of the major things that, that you know. Just like that seems like it would be the worst, most awkward wedding in history, <laughs> where some angry dude is just <laughs> like angrily snapping photos and moving the camera around and shoving
3: people. I mean, I would it would be awful. Like before every shot, he looks through his camera, and you hear this. That is so gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's gross. <laughs> you don't want to, Who wants that? <laughs> oh, Who god. wants that?
1: Nobody. That's awesome. You have a heckler at your own wedding. <laughs>
2: it sucks so bad. There's a fucking thumb in every picture. Yeah. It's yeah. just like every picture. Is Everything's just like blurry. Fucking, God There's damn There's a it. smear
1: on the lens. Right. Yeah. Right. That's just awful. Um, so I got a question, and this is something you might not be able to answer, but um, it's something that came up between uh, when Tom and I were talking about something recently. So you've had a lot of believers on your show. You've debated a lot of people. Um, you've talked to a lot of believers. Have you ever come across anybody? Where you talk to them and afterwards you think, you know, I'm kind of happy they think God exists because they would be an awful human being if they didn't believe in God. And the the thing I'm I'm referencing here is there was a guy from a uh, band called As I Lay Dying, and um, he talked about how he sort of became an atheist, and as he became an atheist, he became a more awful person. Now. This is only if he's telling the truth, because he might just be lying so he can sell records when he gets out of jail in eight years. But it could also be that he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, he's basically saying, when I became an atheist, all bets were off for me, and I could do whatever I want. I ruined my marriage. I tried to kill my wife. You know, I basically became a really shitty human being. And God was the only thing keeping me in check. What do you think about that? Do you think that, you know, that for some people, maybe, you know, having a God is an okay
3: thing because it keeps him in line? I've said multiple times that I think, some people need religion, or at least they think they need religion, but that it shouldn't be forced upon those of us who are strong enough to live without it. Um, and so I, I don't ever want to outlaw religion. I don't, I don't ever want to see that. Sure, yeah but, yeah. but I will say the people who say those things, and y- and yes, I've encountered them, I think that they are under the belief that they needed religion. They are under the belief that they need religion at this moment. And I think it all depends on how they come out of the faith. More than likely, some guy like that probably lost someone close to them and kind of got mad at God somewhat like Lieutenant Dan did, you know? It's like, (laughs) you bastard, how dare you? Give me my legs back. I hate you. And it's one of these angry things. And then he becomes angry with God and then is like, you know what? Screw humanity. I hate everything about it. If you come to atheism through rational means, which most people do, com- with that comes the invitation of secular humanism. Comes, that, uh, comes with that this, this idea that you can be nice to other people, you can love other people, and that this is your only chance to make a difference on earth, uh, so make it better than you found it. And uh, if, if you come to atheism through those means... I think it makes a lot more sense to be a better person than you were when you thought you had um, carte blanche from a sky daddy to, to, yeah. to do whatever your conscious tells you to or your weird, crazy dream or, you know, whatever you know, voices you're hearing due to your schizophrenia. Suddenly you <laughs> act on those because you think <laughs> there is no God. To me, that is just that is just a, a, a poor evidence for that. That just says you are likely going to be a shitty person regardless of what you believe.
2: So I I, I do have a question for you, David. Now, it, now, Dogma Debate is a well-produced, well-thought-out show. Clearly, you and and a lot of other people put a lot of work and time and energy into it. Um, so given that, on a scale from 1 to 10, how ashamed are you to be
3: on our show today? <laughs> Well, you clearly haven't heard dogma debate. Your, <laughs> your researchers are horrible. I don't know what kind of team you got working for. Right <laughs> Yo, now. Uh, See, so what kind of team do we have working fuck for? Fuck you, us. Tom. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, You know, I've heard a lot about you guys. I've heard the Cognitive Dissonance podcast. And I hate that I was just in Chicago. You guys were there at my talk and we actually didn't get to meet. That sucks. Yeah, I I see it after the fact. I see the emails come in and my publicist is saying, hey, man, you know, these guys want to have you on their show. I thought, oh, that's cool. And I kept looking. I'm like, wait a minute. They're in Chicago. And then I'm scrolling through more messages and I see that you were actually in the crowd at, at my talk. And I was like. The guys from Cognitive Dissonance were there and did not introduce themselves. I'm highly offended. <laughs> highly offended.
1: You're an intimidated person. I saw you and I was kind of intimidated by you. I just, you know, I, I couldn't I, I was I couldn't come near you. Your your stage presence was too much. Is <laughs> it um, because I'm
3: so large? I'm yeah. so big. It's cuz you're no, huge, you're so dude. tall and
1: burly. Is that it? You're burly. No, the uh okay, so now that we've successfully transitioned into the Humanist at Work conference, I want to ask you about to to sort of talk a little bit about your philanthropic work because that is, to be honest, um, that is one of the major reasons why I wanted to have you on is because I was really, truly, and I'm being honest here, moved by your discussion about breaking up um, philanthropic work into little pieces, digestible pieces to help motivate your audience. And uh, and I want to talk a little bit about sort of what you did with the Senior Center down
3: there. Yeah, so my talk was called Breaking It Down, Simplified Fundraising. And um, I'm I'm fairly new to it. I've only been doing the fundraising for about a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. And I, I've just tried out a couple of different things. We've failed, and we've had some remarkable successes. And so I took those successes and the failures, and I was able to come up with this formula that really works for us when we're trying to put together some sort of fundraiser. And, um, you know, there are a lot of professional humanists there, at that humanism at work conference for Foundation Beyond Belief, and I I I thought going into this I thought you know I bet you one out of five people in this crowd has probably already heard this already put this into practice and I'm just I've been overwhelmed with how positive that talk was received even by people who have raised you know thousands and thousands of dollars. There's there's this one guy who 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 does the um, the secret atheist blog who blogged about my talk and it was so touching. Uh, he talked about how much it's helped him. And he's raised money for schools in Uganda for forever. And the guy's done so many things. And so I was honored to be able to still help people who have been doing this for such a long time. And really all it is, is I just, um, I, I just found a way to break it down. And it basically comes down, and I can get into the specifics of the senior center if you want, but it basically comes down to, um, rather than you know, putting out there that you've got a $5,000 goal, and you've got it on a website, so it's got that bar, you know, that shows how much you have to go. And one person showed up and dropped $8 in it. When I go to the site, I look at that and I think, gosh, that is so overwhelming. You know, I was going to give 10 bucks, but I'm kind of embarrassed to give 10 bucks when they need 5000 I feel like I wouldn't be offering much help. And so you may, as the fundraiser on the back end, have all sorts of plans that you want to do for this $5,000, but to the donor, we can't see all of that. And if you give me 17 paragraphs to read on all these amazing plans that you have, I'm probably going to skim it, scan it, and go to the next thing that I feel like I can help with. So simplifying it, breaking down the dollar amounts, $3 does this, $5 does this, $10 does this, and 20 does this, and it gets directly to the people and you can see the human effect and the human impact you're having with your donation with a specific dollar amount that takes the burden off the donor. It takes the burden off of them guessing what society, you know, expects to be a little bit. So many people say that every little bit helps, and our goal is five thousand dollars. Well, look, when I go there, I'm thinking, you know, there's a certain amount I can spend before my wife's going to get mad at me, right? And then there's a certain amount I can spend before, you know, we can't pay the mortgage this month. Yeah. And there's a certain <laughs> yeah. amount that I can get away with spending, uh, that, that that, or that I can get away with spending, which won't bother me at all. And so if I come there and I'm thinking, you know, I can drop $5 in this. That's not a big deal. Um, But if I don't think that that's a little bit, I think that's tiny and that's nothing. But for you, $8 would be huge or $5 would be huge we we need to we need to clear up these definitions so that people aren't confused by it. And so what's a little bit to me is not a little bit to the senior center or not a little bit to the kids in Uganda and not a little bit to a millionaire. We all have different levels of what a little bit yeah. means. So when you say every little bit helps, people aren't thinking they can drop a dollar in it or 3 dollars or 6 dollars. They're thinking a little bit is somewhere between 20 to 200 dollars if you've got a goal that's 5000. So what I was able to do is break down this this cost to say look, 3 bucks all in all, I know it's it only t- typically $3 buys enough food for a senior citizen for 1 week, but when you buy that much, you get free food for another week. And then you get, you know, these 30 other meals and then they get a free hot meal every day at the senior center. So effectively, $3 would buy enough groceries for one senior citizen for a month at, by Jesus. the time it's all said and done. It's a great deal I was buying it from a local ministry here in Dallas, Texas. It was a, it was a wonderful deal, but that's what I told the donors. 3 bucks feeds a senior for a month. Let's do it. How many seniors do you want to help? I gave them a specific dollar amount and I showed them the direct impact it would have on on the human they were trying to reach out to. And then it was no longer how much do I give or how much is a little bit or is this going to be socially acceptable for me to give three dollars? The question then becomes how many seniors do you want to help? Yeah. People would give a 10 and go, I just fed three seniors for a month. That's a beautiful thing, and so uh, the gentleman who wrote um, the Secret Atheist blog said that he's been trying to raise you know $35,000, and he's got all these different goals. He wants to buy chickens for them because they, they, they eat eggs every day because of the chickens that are sent, and that's the only source of protein they get in their diet, and he's got all these plans of how he wants to spend this money, but he's completely, because of my talk, he's completely revamping his fundraising abilities and, and fundraising efforts to say that Now you can buy a chicken directly for this group. Here's the cost for one chicken. How many chickens would you like to purchase? Nice. How many many books would you like to purchase? Here's how much it costs for a book. Here's how much it costs to send two kids to school for four years.
0: That's awesome. You you,
3: You can break it down and see your direct impact. Instead of saying, I gave 10 bucks to this charity, you can say, I bought five chickens for a school in Uganda and now they have eggs to eat. So uh, tell
1: me about the, the My Week in Atheism. I saw this, uh, I, I saw this and I'm just curious uh, to know what it's
3: about. We have a Christian listener base um, higher than I think a lot of atheist-based shows do. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that we're only slightly mean. Um, we're, not, we're not as mean as some of the really talented mean atheists are out there yeah. and so Christians feel a little bit safer I think listening to a show that has these open discussions and when someone says on my show something so amazingly absurd my instinct is to go are you fucking kidding me <laughs> but I don't say that as to where most people will and what I'll, I'll check myself right. and I'll say I find it so interesting <laughs>
2: That your voice like dropped a quarter octave there as you got your serious tone of voice. Yeah, getting. that's what I do.
3: I'll oh, say oh, I, I, find it. It, oh. I find it interesting.
2: <laughs>
3: Tell me more about that crazy fucking
2: idea you have.
3: That 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 you understand morality just as I do, yet you're okay with me burning in hell for not seeing the same evidence that you do. How do you reconcile oh, that? And I end it that's with a awesome. question. It's very Socratic, and then they start having their cognitive dissonance right in front of me. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. And so a lot of Christians like listening to the show, and oftentimes I'll get emails from them saying, oh, I can do way better than that last guest you had. That guy doesn't know what true Christianity is. (laughs) And so I I get a lot of Christian guests that way. And one Christian guest we had was named John Christie. And John was a really good guy. We got along really well. He flew out here. I, I went to him. I flew to him. I drove to him. We did all kinds of stuff together, and he just started filming it. He was like, I want to film this. And I was like, well, look, as long as you got your cameras out and you want to film this, let me take you to the American Atheist Convention. Let me take you to Skepticon. And come on stage with me at Skepticon on the main stage, and I'll do a show with you, and we'll talk about stuff. And so um, he filmed every bit of it. And uh, I've got to tell you, you know, uh, he's still a Christian. That's his, that's his, um, his take on it. His arguments on it are quite frustrating. But I promise you, it is the only Christian film ever produced that is completely 100% fair to the atheist viewpoint. Wow. Wow. And that was my role. I told him I would only do it if I was given supervising editor credit on the atheist interest. So that was our contract, that was our agreement, and that's what we did. And I didn't care that he had his argument. He would keep calling me up during production, going, hey man, we're editing this part out and I'm going to keep it in where I say this. And I told him, John... We hear your arguments all the time. Nobody is going to be offended by your arguments. I'm just here to make sure you don't cut out that perfect thing that Matt said or that perfect thing that Aaron said or that Dave Silverman gets this point across and you cut him short and take him out of context. I'm stopping you from banana manning this (laughs) video. And he never tried. He never once tried. He's a stand up guy. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, I think the movie came out pretty good. So we actually travel around and, and do uh, do some, some Q&A. As a matter of fact, there's one coming up in San Antonio, August 2nd. I'll be doing a screening of my week in atheism there. They're going to show the film, and then I'll do a Q&A. and a uh, And we did some in in, um, in Los Angeles. And we actually got kicked out of a church in Compton. And he was treated like an atheist. The people in the church thought wow. he was an atheist showing the film and they kicked him out. Even though the pastor had approved it, the elders didn't. And they kicked him out. And I called him up when he was standing out you know, on the sidewalk with his gear. And I said, how does it feel being treated like one of us? <laughs> and he goes, oh, they're Baptists. They, they all treat me that way. Oh, you know, and, of course, so awesome. takes a shot, at, you know, a, a shot across the pond at one of his own. But, right. you know, reality is we were at CFI Los Angeles doing the same thing. And he gets up on stage and we're doing the Q&A. And he says, you know, I got to say. Um, I was in San Diego with with Smalley last night. It got a little chilly outside, so they gave me a a jacket to wear, brought me some hot coffee. I spilled my coffee once. They cleaned it up for me and asked me if I wanted more. Um, And then here I am being treated great. You guys bought us pizza. We're hanging out backstage, and now you guys have been cheering for me and clapping and laughing and having a good time. It's like I've got to say, on this tour, I'm being treated better by atheists than I have by the Christians. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, so I still have hope for him coming to the right side. We'll see. Um, we still stay in touch. He's going to come back on the show soon, but yeah, I encourage people to go to my week in atheism.com. They can actually stream it live from Vimeo. I think it's like five ninety nine or something. So,
1: well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. And we, anybody can find your stuff at dot right? dot and atheist audiobooks.com. Thanks so much for joining us. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it, guys. So we want to thank uh, our patrons this month specifically the the two new patrons that we have Chris and Joseph thank you very much for uh giving us your hard-earned money we appreciate it we appreciate all our patrons thank you so much for donating to the show and uh and we just actually Tom and I just used the the money we reinvested in the show I got Finally, I'm no longer borrowing a microphone, so I actually have my own microphone, my own boom. I wound up talking to people at Sweetwater, and they gave me some great stuff, and we're really happy. Tom has a new solid-state recorder that he's going to use next week, so we have brand new equipment that we're going to sort of keep on reinvesting into the show to make sure that the show is better and better and better, so thank you so much.
2: And despite all the reinvestment in equipment, please know that I won't invest any more time or energy in the show, so you'll continue to get the same low-quality content. But with higher fidelity, higher fidelity.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we got a message from Chad and Chad uh, talked about some stuff. But one of the things he mentioned is uh, he he said a while back, I can't remember which episode one of you said that you would never call a soldier a hero or congratulated congratulate him for defending freedom. But you respect them. Thank you. I was in the military and I can't stand the hero praise we were doing. uh, We weren't doing anyone any good over there. I thought I was joining for noble reasons, but after I couldn't stand what I saw. I wonder, Tom, how many soldiers actually go through that. Chad, thank you for saying that, because I think that there might be a a large contingent of soldiers that feel the exact same way.
2: Yeah, I've actually heard similar from from soldiers and people that I know that have returned from the military that, you know, they, they get the praise heaped on them that they're, you know, everybody that returns, every soldier that returns is a hero. And if you don't that can create some cognitive dissonance, which it's, it's difficult enough for a lot of returning soldiers uh, coming back to reintegrate into civilian life. And I think that, the you know, adding that level of cognitive dissonance into their, uh, you know, psyche does them no favors.
1: Tom, we got a message from Jared. Um, <laughs> he thought this one was pretty good.
2: I love this. Um, so Jared sent his 11-year-old daughter uh, from uh, Vacation Bible School um, in a small-town uh, Baptist church thing um he says she's my little atheist so it wasn't a big deal she mainly wanted to see her old friends um she had many hilarious tales of praying over projectors to magically remember the forgotten on switch shut the fuck up and this is my favorite and reenacting stonings with paper bags what the fuck that's definitely the part of the bible you want to focus on Uh, but what i really wanted to share with you was the main lesson of the week I nearly drove off the road when she told me. I had just finished your latest podcast on the way there. She said that they taught them to be glory givers and glory getters.
1: Not glory getters. Glory givers, not glory getters. glory givers,
2: not glory getters. I'm sorry. So you want to
1: make sure you're standing at the glory hole, not kneeling. That's basically how that works. Thank you, Jared. That's
2: very... I love the stonings. The paper bag stoning. Like, okay, as as if you're like teaching a lesson on stoning and like the kids couldn't figure out what that meant. So you had to oh have a God. fucking visual aid.
1: Goodness gracious. Um, it's like whipping someone with a ribbon or something. Right. Like. It's, it's so weird. Like that's up. not the
2: part you emphasize.
1: Scott sent in a message and he sent in a horrible story about, um, a girl, uh, a Ugh. guy that's accused of raping a little girl. And he said, um, Thought you might be interested in seeing this. Sadly, yet another example how awful the world can be. Can you guys foresee an end to this type of human behavior at any point? Uh, I'd like to think the world is becoming a better place, but something like this comes up, and I just don't know. You know, I don't think that you'll ever see an end to things like this. Maybe we'll see a slowing down as I think you know uh, society gets to learn how to deal with criminals better, learns how to deal with. Because I think, you know, when you look at at societies that have learned how to deal with crime and criminals and people who are bad, you look towards places where, you know, they have low prison populations, where they have low crime rates. There's I'm specifically thinking of like um, northern Europe is one of the places that, you know, they're just they have like shockingly low crime rates, very low uh, recidivism rate. They just have they just have a good idea of what's going on in in criminals minds and trying to rehabilitate people. So I think at a certain point, you know, you might be we might be able to all get that low if we all kind of follow the right direction. But I don't think you're ever going to just remove it.
2: You know, Cecil, I I think we're headed in the right direction as a species. Um, You know, it's it's the safest time to be alive. It's true. It's true. Um, But to get to zero. When you say like to an end, like I hear get to zero, I'll be honest, I think we will wipe ourselves off the planet as a species before we get to zero. I don't think we will make it to zero because I frankly don't think that the human animal will be around long enough to do it.
1: We got a message from Ken, and he was very happy we had on Rachel Hensler from Grief Beyond Belief because it just so happens that he had a loss very recently, and this really helped him out. And he was just appreciative that we had her on. Uh, we encourage everybody to check out the Grief Beyond Belief website. We think that you know that is a wonderful resource for you uh, as non-believers to find things that can help you cope with um, parts of your life that are very difficult to go through. And we, we could not send you to a better place. We think that she's very capable and, uh, and she's done a lot of research on this. So you should definitely go there and check out the stuff that she's done. And we're glad it helps somebody. We got a message from, uh, from tech and, uh, he sent us and we got to both try this time. We have to say glory hole in his native tongue. Okay. So here, I'm going to say it first. Oh, come on. The fucking second word. <laughs> the second word needs a fucking vowel. It's just N-G, for Christ's sakes. You got to buy a vowel, Pat Jack. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Butas. Mm, ka, kaluwalathean.
2: I think you nailed that. I'm not Ka-lu- sure I can do any Ka-wal-hation. better. Kawal Haitian. I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to go with uh, butt-ass. <laughs>
3: Kaluwation. <laughs> Kaluwation.
2: <laughs> anyway, he
1: sent a message and he said that he just had surgery and it had stopped listening to our podcast because it hurt like a bitch every time he laughed. We hope you're feeling better. Oh, man. So please get better, Tech. Tom had an interesting idea to fuck with you. I'm going to read what Tom said. Tom says, I'm sure Tom won't read this. Well, he's hearing it now, Tom. Uh so if you're bored, maybe the guy who wrote the episode script could modify it to spell out the episode number in Spanish, or make a simple math equation, episode one thirty seven plus twenty eight, <laughs> or Roman numerals, episode C L X V
2: That's fucking awful.
1: That's the best. Whoever wrote that code should do that. That's
2: just fuck with you. Nobody knows how to read Roman numerals. <laughs> Roman numerals are just random that generated. That is fucking so weird. Can uh, you imagine trying to add
1: using Roman numerals? So we got a message from Avid Listener. And Avid Listener says, uh, this really doesn't matter, but it bugged me two podcasts in a row. Sperm really do carry enzymes called uh, acrosomes that break through the egg's protective covering. It's one of the reasons that men with low sperm counts have trouble conceiving. It doesn't take just one sperm, but many to break through the, uh, and fertilize the egg. Now, I know it has nothing to do with AIDS. It doesn't, but the asshat heard something true and decided that uh, to use it as a starting point to blather untruths. Yeah, yeah, sure, but that's not the joke. The joke we were making is that he said some fucking unbelievably... Uh, made up shit. So what we did was make up some things like fucking sperms have lasers on them or they're fucking robots or they have an egg tooth or something. You know what I mean? Like whatever to make fun of that. Like that's what we were making fun of. Not making fun of the fact that how sperm work. We were making fun of the fact that you can just make up whatever you want and say whatever you want in front of a commission and nobody cares.
2: Yeah, and I think that there is too a distinction between like the sperm burning its way into the egg. Yeah. Like that implies, <laughs> I know because he talks like, about like uh, like a heat or something. Yeah. Like it's not. I mean, it, it, like yeah, there's there's clearly a mechanism for the sperm right. to enter the egg, and it, but he's not addressing that in a meaningful way. And so we chose not to address. Yeah, we it chose in not to address it either. either.
1: I, you know, what what makes me laugh about that whole story though, when we think back on it, is you know he's talking about how, well, when you ejaculate in an anus. Or rectum or whatever. Uh, basically, it has it's 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 porous, so it goes right in, and so therefore people get AIDS. And I'm thinking, well, what was the first time somebody had butt sex? Was like in the 80s? Then, like the very first butt sex we ever had was in the 80s. Nobody had butt sex before and got AIDS back in I don't know the fucking 1900s or something. Like yeah. nobody's ever gotten it before, and like nobody had gay sex before. <laughs>
2: Right and and like heterosexuals don't have anal sex. Yeah, right. Heterosexuals like it's just a, there's so many things like wrong. it just was just invented. It was like it was fucking anal sex was just invented and only men do it. And with only other men. men do it.
1: And right. that's why there's AIDS. Right. And you're like, no, fucking there's the fucking God. AIDS onset came around in the fucking eighties, man. Um, yeah. that's awesome shit. We also got it fucking corrected about the plesiosaur not being a yeah, dinosaur. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's not a dinosaur, but the joke doesn't work if you're like. The plesiosaur is the uh, most courteous mesozoic marine reptile. Like the, <laughs> it just doesn't fucking work. Like the joke doesn't work. So,
2: look, it's as far joke, as I'm man. concerned, Cecil, if it's an asaur, it's an asaur. <laughs> it's
1: an asaur. And it makes sense. I guess I, you know, to be honest though, I had no idea that the plesiosaur was not a dinosaur. So I think it's a good correction. It's just, but just the joke doesn't work if it's, you know, whatever the fuck I'm plesiosaur is. <laughs> we got a uh, an image though which is awesome which is president plesiosaur from galen and it's just a fucking fucking awesome picture of a plesiosaur in a tuxedo it's with a awesome. top hat and a monocle and the monocle <laughs> string is super long like you could swing across a fucking canyon on it it's like a repelling rope it's the best it looks so great I'm putting this as the image for this episode, so uh, so check out, uh, go to this episode, episode one sixty six, and check out the image for this episode because it's fucking hilarious. Thank you, Galen.
2: My favorite part of it is the podium because the podium doesn't, <laughs> like, it doesn't it accomplish doesn't anything for him. It like, not It's scale. not like he can put his fucking important papers <laughs> like on the it. The
1: Plesiosaur, the Plesiosaur is huge, and the podium is still <laughs> human sized. <laughs> It's the best. It's, it's the great. Best. Oh, it's so funny. Um, we also got a message um, from Dale McGowan. Dale just put on um, the Humanism at Work conference in Chicago, and that's where I saw, um, I not only saw David Smalley's talk, but I saw several other talks there. I went there during the day, and it was a great conference. We're hopefully going to have him on very soon for a conference wrap-up to talk about what happened there and to talk about the Foundation Beyond Belief, which he's... He's the executive director of the Foundation Beyond Belief, so we want to have him on to talk about his work and uh, and and the things that Foundation Beyond Belief does. We're hopefully going to have him on in the, in the next couple of weeks. We're going to try to schedule a date with him very soon, um, but we're excited to have Dale on very soon. So we want to thank David Smalley again for coming on. David was a wonderful guest. He he runs a great show called The Dogma Debate. Uh, you can check him out at dogmadebate.com. Uh, please go check out his podcast. It's a wonderful podcast. It's like very i mean he dedication is like three hours long so you want to check out the stuff that he does uh it, it, it he definitely was a fun guest and we look to have him on in the future so that wraps it up for this week um we're gonna leave you as always with the skeptics creed
2: credulity is not a virtue it's fortune cookie cutter mommy issue hypno babylon bullshit